Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. Special delivery. Uh, Would you read aloud with me? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. We'll read together once it appears on the screen. There it is. Let's begin. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. This month, we've been speaking about Jesus, and the sermon series is entitled Special Delivery. Our focus today is from the Gospel of Luke. Luke is both a historian and also a physician. At the beginning of his Gospel, he writes that he is giving an account of all the things that occurred that were handed down to people like him by those who were first to be the eyewitnesses and servants of the word. First to be the eyewitnesses and the servants of Jesus. So as you move through Luke, we're encountering people who were eyewitnesses and servants of God. And it's a beautiful thing. So every person who we're talking about literally was an eyewitness of Jesus himself. 
and also became a servant. They just didn't see him, but they actually began to serve him. And it's rightful that they should serve him and also that we should serve him because really the primary verse in our text, verse 11, speaking about a savior that is born in the town of David, refers to the fact that uh, not only salvation has come, but, but people are now saved by a ruler. Saved by graces is true, but that grace comes from a ruler named Jesus. And uh, he's still ruling. He's still in charge. And so when we sang this morning, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, here as it is in heaven. This is the moment where here as it is in heaven appears. The king himself comes. He brings his kingdom. He's in charge. He doesn't require anyone's permission to lead. He just begins to lead. And it's an amazing account that helps us, I pray, our minds and our hearts to be open to see him in a new way. So let's get into it, can we? Luke 2.11, that verse again, is significant. Today, that's the first time it could be said. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. That's Luke 2.11. Um, this is really important. I want to say this up front about special delivery. Uh, the special delivery is... is not only Christ coming, the special delivery is that he's the one who actually delivers us out of sin. He's the only one who can take away our sins. Uh, there's no human effort, no matter how great the attempt, that can remove even an iota of our sins. Holding our breath can't take away our sins. Um, doing good to other people can't take away our sins. Doing less of bad things does not take away sin. Uh, because sin is not just an outward action, it is the orientation of a heart. And until that heart is changed by Jesus Christ, we still remain in our sinful state. Uh, we are born sinners, and so that is why we sin. We sin in ways that we're conscious, but we also sin in ways that we're not conscious. We tend to measure our sinfulness by others. We can see people who we view as being more sinful than us, and we view people as being less sinful than us, and sometimes that becomes the meter by which we think we're okay or not okay. But there's only one standard by which we are judged. The standard is this baby who's born, Jesus. That's the only measure. And the Bible says we all come short. So it's, it's a false thing to measure yourself against another human being in order to figure out where you stand uh, with righteousness because there's only one who's right, that's Jesus. So the only question is where do we stand with him? And where we stand with him is unrighteous, which is why grace to be forgiven is so important because Jesus came, instead of wiping us out, decided, according to his grace, if we would respond appropriately to him being the ruler and king, he would wipe out our sins instead of wiping us out. That's, I don't know, in any other way, that's a deal. Like, that's a deal. It's not even a, a, a fair transaction. It's literally him saying, I'm going to offer up myself as a sacrifice and take your place. One of the things my wife said when she uh, came to Howard University as a freshman, she grew up in a local church context where the gospel was preached, but she didn't understand it because of the way it was presented. But 
one freshman morning, she woke up and decided she was going to go to church somewhere, and she walked into a church, and she was surprised to learn that the guest speaker was from her hometown, Philadelphia. And I remember telling this story about how when he preached about Jesus and preached about Jesus dying on the cross, it clicked for her. She knew that Jesus had died on the cross, but it, what was new, what was sort of her mind being opened, her heart being opened, wasn't just this piece of jewelry we wear in our ears or around our neck or you see on TV or the back of a fan, or depending on what church you grew up in. Uh, everyone wears a cross, right? Gold. It was wooden, actually, and it's actually a, an instrument of capital punishment of which many young Jews died. It, was the, it wasn't just a form of death. It was, it was torture. It was intended to be long and painful. And Jesus actually dying on that cross, the insight that my wife got, and only the Holy Spirit could bring this to her, was that Jesus didn't merely die on the cross. He didn't merely suffer. He wasn't just tortured. He was actually suffering for you. He was actually suffering in your place. Have you ever pictured yourself on a cross? That's, our, that's, that's what we justly deserve. And if we think we deserve better, that speaks of our ignorance or our arrogance or both. But that's what I deserve. So him coming to take our place is therefore very good news. Yes. Yes. It's very good news that someone would want to die in your place. It's very good news that someone would want to take your place even though you don't deserve it. That's really, really good news. It's the kind of news that you wouldn't really be flippant or casual about. It's like, what? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I just would imagine, just imagine the thief carrying a cross and Jesus coming alongside, let me take that from you. And you don't have to die. Isn't that amazing? But not only does he, he does more than say you don't have to die. He actually says, I'm going to give you life and I'm going to give you my kingdom and I'm going to teach you how to live life the way I've always lived. So it's a different way of thinking, and it takes a while to get it. I'm still in process myself, because I grew up, like many of you, hearing about Jesus, learning about Jesus, but starting to know him and understanding what he's like, it's a whole new world. So when you go back into this moment, the first part that we read in chapter 2 was that a census was being taken by the entire of the entire Roman world. Now, this is important. Luke is the only gospel writer who names a Roman emperor. No one else does it. But he does it because it's his trade. He's historian, so details matter. And I think it's important that he notes uh, this Roman emperor because he wants you to understand that the birth of Christ, the context, this, this is not a myth. This is not some fantasy. This is not something make-believe. He wants to place the exact time of Christ's birth in history so you understand the events that are taking place and his birth being a historical event itself. So that's really important to understand. Caesar Augustus is the great nephew of Julius Caesar. He is uh, a Roman uh, uh, emperor who is in leadership from about... A.D. 27 to B.C. 14, about 40 years. And he died when he was about 75 years of age. So he was the Roman emperor leading all of Rome during the time that Jesus was born 
somewhere around 4 BC. Some people think, wasn't he born at 0 BC? No, we, we didn't get that right. We, we missed it by a little bit. Humans usually miss everything by a little bit. We're just off some. But so he was born about 4 BC, and so here is uh, Rome taking the census. Now, the reason for taking a census would be two purposes. Number one, taxation. We need to figure out how many people we got in all our provinces so we know how much money we should be collecting, right? Number two, military. We need to find out able-bodied people who we can enlist in the military. I'm happy to see two of our young men who recently returned from the military here this Christmas, twins to my left. Yeah, 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 yeah. Funny story, when they, when they wanted to enlist, their parents were like, you all, why don't you do this branch or this branch? And they're like, no, we want to be the toughest. We're, we're going, well, Marine? Yeah, we're like, we're going to be Marines. Hoorah. They were like, we wanted hard. We wanted you know, none of this nonsense. And their parents were so surprised. Like, but look, you guys jump out of planes. It only makes sense that your kids would be just as venturous and out there as you guys are. So Rome would take a census to figure out who they could enlist. Even in our Western culture, when you turn 18 years of age, you got to sign up that you can be drafted. If you don't, you lose certain rights as a citizen. I had to do that at 18. I, tried to sign, I took the ASVAB. I tried to go to the Army. <clears throat> My mom showed up and said, not today. So <laughs> that's how that went. Mom, if I didn't tell the story correctly, please help me. I'll retell it the next time. I usually ask her, or should ask her before I tell those stories, because my perspective is not always the same as hers. Um, that's the disclaimer for the podcast. So, the, so as a historian, he's, 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 he's talking about this. But there's more than just Rome taking a census. Like, remember, God is king. He's the king of all kings. He is the ruler of all rulers. He is presently the Lord of all lords. That means there's no king, present, past, or future, for which he does not have authority over now. He needs no permission to act in anyone's life or in the culture or in history. He can do whatever, whenever he wants. He's that kind of a ruler. And so this census that's being taken, from Rome's perspective, it's merely taxation, military. But there's more going on. In Matthew 2.6, it says, but you, this is, this is Matthew quoting Micah who prophesies a long time before this event occurs. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. So out of Judah, we're talking about rulers should come. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Very important. Micah is speaking the word that God wrote on his heart. He's saying, I mean, you, you want to talk about GPS. If I use GPS today, I can put in a, an address, a specific street, address, all of that, and it will tell me how long it'll get there. 25 minutes, I am from a this is GPS hundreds of years before. We're not talking about on the same day. We're talking about a different time period. That's a different type of GPS. God's GPS is not bound by time or history. So when Micah says this, 
Bethlehem, he's actually naming the birthplace of the ruler out of Judah who will shepherd God's people. We'll come back to this, but I just love the fact that he's a ruler who shepherds. Those two words together, I like that. He's a ruler who shepherds people. So when God is shepherding us, he's ruling at the same time. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my what? He what? Makes me? He what? Leads. That's his rulership. Sheep got to follow the one who's leading. He leads. But here's the point that we want to get to. Joseph and Mary are engaged to be married. It's legally they are joined. The law, all the local places could figure out how to do the, the census. So under the governor, they determined that you would return to your hometown. And since Joseph was a descendant of the ancient King David, and David was born in Bethlehem, that's why it's called the town of David, the city of David, Joseph had to return from Nazareth. He had to go about 100 miles to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about five to six miles south of Jerusalem. So he had to go 100 miles with his pregnant wife in her third trimester on a donkey and ride in order to sign their name and show up for the census. Got it? Now here's what's important. If I'm Joseph and Mary, I don't know because we're not. But you can think it's a little inconvenient. I mean, an angel had actually showed up to Mary named Gabriel and said, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world, the Messiah. I don't know. But if you're Mary, you're thinking, life's about to get good. I mean, if you're having the Son of God, then the, the, the red carpet is going to be rolled out, right? I mean, this is God's son, and he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. So if you think back to David, if you think back to Solomon, you think how grand the kingdom was in those days. Solomon was so wealthy, they took silver and threw it out back. It's like pennies. He didn't even pick it up. That kind of wealth. Nations would bring wealth and drop it at his feet to have 10-minute audience with him to hear his wisdom. That's, so you're thinking, she's giving birth to Jesus who's coming through that line? And they're not, the, the social status of king is, they're part of royal lineage, but with exile and everything that happened to the nation, that social status is long gone. They're poor. They're, 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 they, got, they don't have anything, right? He's a carpenter. It's honest work, but it's a far cry from the days of David and Solomon. Does that make sense? So it's a little inconvenient to have to go 100 miles, but I don't want to belabor this point, and I've belabored it. Here's the point. If you're married, would you think for a moment, God, couldn't the census have been either before the child was born or after? No, you, have you ever said anything like to God about his timing of something he's done in your life? <laughs> have you ever once just mentioned to God, you could have done this sooner or you could have done it later? Anybody? Am I alone in thinking, now? Right now? I'm on my way here, Lord. What, what now? Like, he's, this is why I mean he's ruler. He can actually interrupt your life at will. And when you're following him, you get used to being okay with being interrupted. You might not ever really like it. But if he's really ruler, you go with it. Right? 
Anybody had God interrupt their life? Like your whole life, right? Like that's what God does. But he doesn't think of it as an interruption. He's just being God. When I tell my kids, wake up, we're going, they're like, I was sleeping. Yeah, yeah, but you're up now, we're going. It's, they see it as an interruption, but as a parent, I'm like, we're leaving, and you're getting up, and you really don't, you're, you're going to put your shoes on, and you're going to make your bed, and you're going to get in the car, and you're going to put your seatbelt on, and you're going to like it. Because I feed you, I clothe you. You can't, ex- you can't do anything without me. Are you with me? So God doesn't need to say, I'm sorry or excuse me, or please forgive me, when he decides to interrupt your schedule. So when you go to put something on the calendar, you should say, Lord willing. Because your will is not enough to make it happen. Now he's born king. I keep trying to, I'm trying to get this through to myself. Because if I get it, I'm going to stop asking him, why are you doing this? When I already know the answer. So, here's what I want to say. Practically, Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem for the census. Practically. Providentially, God is fulfilling his word prophesied by Micah. You got to get to Bethlehem because I said that's where he's going to be born. The Roman emperor has no clue. He thinks he's just acting out taxation military. God's going, here's what God's doing. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart, the emperor's heart, the president's heart, the prime minister's heart is is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God turned the heart of the Roman emperor to conduct a census to get his boy to Bethlehem to be born. Here's the takeaway. Your inconvenience is wrapped up in his providence. Your inconvenience is wrapped up in his providence. Your little is wrapped up in his big. We rarely see the big because we are so focused on the little. We can't see the forest for the tree we're hugging. Helpful? Let's move on. Humble beginning. Humility is an attribute of God. It is not merely the beginning as if later on his humbleness dissipates in the wake of something greater. Humility is greatness. Serving is greatness. Um, this is really important. In Luke's gospel, you see Luke focusing on the poor and the disenfranchised. God's heart for the poor. God's heart for the disenfranchised. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a heart for people who are well. He does have a heart for all people. But, but sometimes there's a sense in the culture, at least, that if you're poor and not wealthy, the wealthy are blessed, the poor are overlooked. That's not God's economy. He actually doesn't think that way. Uh, he himself was born a- in a manger. Right? So let's, let's, let's dive in just a little bit here. I want you to believe that God sees you, to believe that God cares for you, to believe that you matter to God, to believe that your significance is immeasurable. There's a movie I like. Um, not everybody knows it or likes it. It's called It's a Wonderful Life, James Stewart, classic. Anybody like it? Very happy you like it. It's a Christmas story. Go watch it. It's basically a man who decided to do good and things went south and he got mad, upset. And he just, uh, he wished he'd never been born. And so to save his life, he is assigned an angel from heaven named Clarence. Clarence is a funny kind of angel. I don't know that they're angels like Clarence. But anyway, he's, a, he's an odd sort of fellow. And he gives the man his wish. You've never been born. 
and he gets to see all of life as if he'd never existed. And he realizes the significance of his life because he had no idea the, 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 the channels and flows of how many people's lives are touched. We don't know all of what God has already done through your existence while you're still focused on when is God going to use me? And haven't even recognized all he's already done that you don't even know about. I think part of heaven, I hope, is wiping away our tears, is seeing the measure of our wickedness in the fullness of his grace and how forgiven we are. And then secondarily, all that he did and accomplished through us that we didn't even know about and how little he got done through when we thought we were doing something for him. Remember when you're in the grocery store and you leaned over and you just said hello to that young girl? Yeah, she was going to commit suicide, but you didn't know it. But the night before, she had said, God, unless someone just greets me, I'm out. And so I used you to do it, and you didn't know I was using you. That just seems random, but I'm just saying God could do anything, and we wouldn't even know it. Amen? All right. Um, here's the next thing. God chose Joseph and Mary, descendants of royal lineage. They're not rich. They're not famous. There's no palace. There's no servants. There's no entourage. No one knows us, but God is working out his providential plan in and through us in all our seeming nothingness in his great somethingness. I love this. Like, Joseph and Mary are more talked about at Christmas than probably anybody except Jesus, right? But at this day and time, they're not famous people. They don't know there's going to be all these manger scenes with them all over the world. They live in a town called Bethlehem that is regarded as one of the least places. This is not where you go move. This is not Bethesda. This is not, this is not, you understand? This is not, I love you if you live in Bethesda. I'm just saying, Bethlehem's not Bethesda. Bethlehem, and I don't want to say what it is because then if you live there, then you feel like I'm getting on you. But I want you to know, that's where God chose for his son to be born. And it was the town of David. It was a great place in its day. Are you with me? So what I want you to see is that God actually chooses Joseph. He actually chooses Mary. He chooses people who seemingly are people of insignificance. But I want you to know, I, I don't know how to say it to you clear. God's not overlooking you. Get that straight. He's not overlooking you. He's looking right at you. And he's wanting to bring us to the point where we recognize our significance in his eyes, even when it fails to be in the eyes of anyone else who we deem important, or if they give us their attention, now I'm important. We need to move beyond if this person says something about me, then I'm legit to the point of God made me legit. You don't even get on the planet without his decision, without his permission. From what I understand the science, for you to be born during the moment of conception, it was a race of about a billion and you won. Do you know what it took just to get you here? Don't spend your days just fretting over what you think you haven't become. You're here. And he chose you to be here. And you're great in his eyes. And he died for you. What greater proof do you need about how special you are? Enough, you can get 10 billion likes on social media, but I'll take one nod from the maker. Yeah. 
one nod from the maker than 10 billion people who follow me today and don't tomorrow. Jesus wasn't living for likes. He never lived for likes. 12 years old, he's being able to have conversations with adults and ask hard questions and challenge them. They couldn't refute anything he said. 30 years of age, they're asking, where'd you get this authority from? He's like, tell me where John got his authority. Was it from man or was it from uh, God? They said, ah, if we say it's from man, they'll stone us because John was great. If we say it's for God, then we have to answer why we're not following him. Uh, we don't know Jesus. He said, then I'm not going to tell you where I get my authority. <laughs> like he's in charge. He's walking around humble, but in charge. Even when he stood before Pilate, Pilate says, are oh, you a king? He's like, is this your moment to get born again? Hey, hey, I'm not a Jew. He's like, like even when he's on trial, he's not on trial. Everybody else is. He's never losing it under pressure. He's reigning all the time. And then he wants us to reign with him. But the only way you reign with him is by submitting to him. When you try to rule apart from him, you look like all the rest of humanity. Weak with an outward facade. All right. I love that he chooses Joseph and Mary. I love that they have everyday problems just like you and me. They got bills to pay. They, uh, she's pregnant. She's experiencing morning sickness, all that stuff. They're married for at least nine months to a year before they can consummate the marriage. Hats off to Joseph. Usually most guys aren't thinking you're going to wait a year after you get married. But he kept her a virgin the entire time. No amens on that one. <laughs> Not even one. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't looking for it. I was just making the observation of what the grace of God gave Joseph. Because they slept in the same bed. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go further. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> Joseph was a healthy man. They had more kids. I'm just telling you, nothing was wrong with that brother. He probably went to sleep. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be, blessed be my father in heaven and your son in my wife's womb. Hallelujah. All right. Sometimes we just read the story and we hear like music, but like this was real for him. Right? Joseph had to get around like, where are you going, Joseph? I just need to go for a walk, babe. You go ahead to sleep. I just need to go for a walk. I need to pray, God, please let her deliver on time. All right, how about this? Shepherds. The shepherds, apart from Mary and Joseph, the shepherds are the first eyewitness of Christ. Can you imagine the honor of being the first to see Jesus? The very first, apart from mom and dad. Luke 2.17 talks about it. 
This is what I mean about being eyewitnesses and servants of the word. You appeared to shepherds, not Caesar. That's a big deal. These shepherds were the first to see Jesus. Here's what you need to know about shepherds. Genesis 46, 34. This was during the time back in the days of Egypt. We, we've talked about this in the days of Moses and all. Joseph. Every shepherd is an abomination. Um, is that Genesis 46, 34? Okay. There it is. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So the vocation or the occupation of being a shepherd was not just something that people didn't want to do necessarily. It was actually detestable. Like, like it wasn't the most sought-after job. You smell like she... I remember when I used to work at a law firm, and sometimes the couriers would deliver... Um, whatever they had to deliver. They'd have to come up to the mailroom. And if it were later in the day and that brother had been working all day, his presence was felt. Because in the summer when you ride your bike and you have to deliver mail and you got to get from spot to spot really quickly, you work up a sweat. And you don't take a break and go home and take a shower. So when you come into the law firm and you walk across the Persian rug and you go into the law firm, you say, delivery, you're like, okay. Yeah, you can, their odors with them. Shepherds always had an odor about them. That's what happens when you hang about animals. So Egyptians were like, get back these shepherds. What, come, can we give them a place where they don't have to be around us? So it's not just their occupation, but sometimes when you do a certain occupation, there's a stereotype that goes with the person. So people see you a certain way based on the work you do. Now it's wrong. But that is real. That's where we live. So this is this way of viewing them, which is why, the reason why I'm highlighting it is because when the angel shows up on that country hillside, not in Bethesda, but in Bethlehem, and the glory of the Lord is, 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 is manifested, and the shepherds would, these were nomadic people who moved from place to place, didn't have their own home. Um, they didn't have much means. Can you imagine the sense of awe they felt that this angel shows up and says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. And the, the shepherds who were awake keeping watch probably woke up the other shepherds or just the glory woke them all up out there on that hillside. And then as we sang, hark the herald angels sing, a company of angels. This is the, this is the birth announcement. The birth announcement did not happen on, on the, at, at, at Rome with the emperor. It happened on a country hill outside of Bethlehem. These old boys in the middle of the night are are honored that God would show up to shepherds and say, my son is here. And they get so excited. And I, I, I'll go back and read the, the text because it was a while ago. It says uh, in verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. That always happens when the glory of God comes. Like even the Navy SEALs and the Marines and, you know, our top CIA agents, when the glory of God shows up, they all cower. Like, I don't know what the glory of God is, but the mightiest man on the planet shakes and falls down dead. When the, when the Roman centurions were guarding the tomb of Christ on the threat of loss of their own life, they would let, let any, there's no way, there's no way, it's, it's fiction to believe that the disciples came in the middle of the night and stole them. These dudes were, they worked for the IRS. <laughs> they were fishermen. You're going to walk up to trained centurions who can take your life, dudes who can take you out in two seconds without a weapon in their hand, and you're like, hey, we came to get the body? First of all, where does the courage come from now that he's dead? Your hopes are dashed. They were hiding. But they were paid money to say, uh, they stole his body. We fell asleep. If you fall asleep, they kill you. Roman soldiers don't fall asleep. I've been to Buckingham Palace. London Guards. I've watched people try to make them. These dudes are like, been out 12 hours. So Roman centurions, we have Air Force guys in our church. These guys are trained. They, they're, they're, this is not your playground tag, hide-and-go-seek situation. So when the angels show up and the glory of God is there, these shepherds are terrified. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, that will cause great joy for all the people. Not just for you, but all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The sign is not a baby wrapped in cloths because all babies were wrapped in cloths. The sign is lying in a manger. That is what was unexpected. And then they started singing, glory to God in the highest. Would you, like, I love our band. Could you imagine a company of angels in perfect pitch singing? Sounds from heaven. I bet they never heard music like that before or since. I think they were probably melting while they were singing. And here's what they say right after. As soon as they leave. By the way, they weren't told where to go. They weren't even told to go. This is what I love about our church. We talk about go moments. Here's the first go moment after the birth of Christ. Where, where's Wendy? This is the first go moment, Wendy. The first go moment is, let's go see. And look at what he says. Watch this, because this is where your faith gets activated right now this morning. How many, some of you are going to have a change in mind, repentance about the going. He says, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They don't say, let's go see if. They say, let's go see. They're utterly convinced they believe in their heart, even though they haven't seen Christ, even though they don't know where he is. They believe without doubting. That's significant, guys. Some of us are told to go, and we're like, oh, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. Tell me again. Give me the details. Are you sure? Who got healed? How did it happen? And we talk ourselves out with 20 questions. These shepherds start running down the hill. And in one translation, it's a search. Like, they have to look all over Bethlehem to find them. But your faith will keep you going even when your eyes haven't seen what's in your heart. Amen. You're going to wait until what's in your heart, your eyes meet it, and then you're satisfied. Faith just keeps you going. 
I don't know. We got to keep looking. <laughs> I didn't find them there. And can you imagine Mary and Joseph giving birth in a, in a stable? Nobody there. For shepherds to run? The Savior! They're blown away. Who are you? Why are you here in my birthing room? And who told you? Why am I telling you all this? The shepherds after Mary and Joseph are the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. You appeared to shepherds, not Caesar. They're the first evangelists. They're, shepherd, they're shepherds by occupation, but evangelists by faith. Write that down. They're shepherds by occupation, but evangelists by faith. Don't ever let your occupation get in the way of your faith. Amen. Don't ever let your occupation get in the way of your faith. Don't ever let political correctness in your occupation get in the way of your faith. Figure it out. Get the gospel. Jesus never let politics, religion, or anything else prevent him from taking charge and leading. In the same way they received the good news, they went out and told it. Now, this is good. The way you receive the good news is the way you're going to go share it. If you received it with faith and great joy, you'll go share it with faith and great joy. When you receive the gospel like in motion, then you just assume it's in motion that that's how the gospel is supposed to be presented to other people. Does that make sense? The apparent boldness of shepherds to go tell others of Jesus, the Lord, the one in charge, the Lord of lords, Lord over Caesar, you're different than, you're, this is amazing because for them to be awed and go see the baby is one thing, to go tell others is another matter because by saying the Lord is here is risky because of the rejection, the risk of their own lives. This is really huge. Um, I love this. Let's, let's end here. Going back to where he says, a ruler will shepherd my people. Isn't it amazing that the first to be appeared to at the birth were shepherds? And the shepherds came to see Jesus, the ruler who will shepherd his people. I don't think it's a coincidence that shepherds are standing there at the new birth, looking at the one who is a ruler who was born to shepherd God's people. Shepherds were looking at one who was called to be a shepherd. To shepherd all of us. So let's go. This is a season for us to receive him and to go. To believe him. To realize that we are saved by a ruler. To recognize that Jesus is not only ruling and we're watching, but we're witnesses. And this is the season, as you turn into this new year, to say, Lord... The angels talked about peace. The scriptures talk about the peace of God ruling in our hearts. All of us in this room have things that are disturbing that happen to us at times in our life. Little things, big things, whatever they are. But there's something about allowing the peace of God. Gideon said the Lord is peace. When he who is peace begins to rule in your heart, then he governs you against anxious thoughts, against worry, against fear, against everything that's not right in our society. And you begin to realize that Jesus, as a man of peace, as God of peace, lived out his life in charge, establishing his kingdom,
with the expectation that his followers would extend it. And how do we extend it? By having his peace govern us so that we're not governed by our appetites. We're not governed by our emotions. We're not governed by anything external. We're governed primarily by the internal indwelling God, indwelling God. And even our submission to outward authority is only that which is submission to God himself. Amen. How many recognize you need a greater measure of the one of peace ruling inside you? We need to think right about him. He is in charge. He is not asking for permission, but he delegates authority to us, not to act in arrogance, but in humility and submission to extend his influence beyond us. Jesus was not tortured because he was a nice religious guy who loved kids and preached good messages. He was killed because he established a kingdom and he would not back down from Rome or anybody else. In the words of Pastor Demo, Jesus is a bad man. That's our ruler, guys. Amen. Father, we thank you for this moment. I pray that we would worship you not just as a religious figure or a political figure, but the king who has come and who has rightful place to rule over all. That we would yield to you and follow you and find ourselves filled with peace as we worship our king and learn to reign with you. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.